0: There are so many ways you can support H.U.G. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support.
1: I was just in a position, like I am every single other day, of absolutely powerlessness. It's a lifelong problem that Daniel's got, and... This was my commitment to him. I would care for him and love him and do all that I could for him to give him whatever life he's
0: been blessed. What lessons can we learn from our adult heart warriors? Why might a heart mom write a book about her life experiences dealing with congenital heart defects or CHD? How does a heart mom use her personal experiences to fight for others in the hospital? Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski. Like today's guest, I am also a heart mom. My son, Alexander, was born with a single ventricle heart in 1994, and he is the reason I am the host of your program. Today's show is Libby Andrew, Australian heart mom and author. And our guest is Libby Andrew. Australian Libby Andrew is a busy mom to four sons: John, age fourteen; Matthew, twelve; Stuart, ten; and Daniel, seven. Her youngest son Daniel was born with half a heart. Diagnosed in utero at twenty weeks, Daniel was not expected to survive. He had his first surgery at twenty-one days of age. His second surgery, a Glenn shunt at five months, and a Fontan at three and a half years of age. Unable to find the resources she needed to guide her on her journey, Libby wrote a book, Living with Half a Heart, A Mother's Guide to Navigating Fontan Surgery. Since his surgeries, Daniel has been thriving. He enjoys being with his older brothers and attends school. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Libby. Thanks, Anna, for having me. And it's always so much fun for me to interview another heart mom. So let's go way back in time, Libby, and talk about when you discovered Daniel had a heart defect.
1: I do consider myself fortunate. It was picked up in my 20-week ultrasound while Daniel was in utero.
0: Really? That's pretty unusual, isn't it? I can only
1: sort of speak about my own journey, but I certainly met some other mums along the way that had no forewarning. So Mm -hmm. I really was grateful that the sonographer picked it up at 20 weeks and I had all that time to get my head around what I needed to before the birth.
0: Sure, absolutely. Can you tell me about the kind of support that you had after you found out about Daniel's condition?
1: Going back to that day, I um, <laughs> I tend to want to avoid thinking about something that was so hard and scary. So I've used avoidance for a long time to go back to those memories. But if I do go back there, I feel like I knew there was something wrong right from the beginning because the scan just took such a long time. Uh-huh. and. Yeah. That's I never think deep good. down. Yeah. That's never,
0: and you had had three children before, so you knew how quick the scans could be.
1: Yeah, I knew there was something wrong and I knew I was playing poker with the lady that was doing the sonographer. I didn't know it was the heart, but I knew it was taking too long for there not to be something wrong.
0: Sure, absolutely. Now, were you all by yourself or did you have somebody with you?
1: No, my partner was there at the scan and... My partner was also there when we got called back to see my GP. It was probably about four hours in between leaving the ultrasound and then the call from the doctor's surgery to say, could I come back? So I think think I'd spent that afternoon knowing deep down something was wrong and I was waiting for the phone call. So my partner was there the whole way.
0: So that was good that you weren't all by yourself. Did your partner know something was wrong too?
1: No, I don't think she had any idea. I certainly just went straight into fear and I Mm -hmm. shut down.
0: Mm -hmm. It's easy to shut down when you become afraid.
1: I think that was a strategy that I've used my whole life. When I feel fear coming or I can smell it, I start running in the opposite direction and I shut down how... I really should let myself feel in the moment, but it's scary.
0: The same thing kind of happened to me in that you kind of go on autopilot, especially you had three other little people depending on you. And so I don't think that's terribly unusual. So you went back after four hours. That must have seemed interminable.
1: It was a long day and Mm -hmm. it followed a long month. Um, There was lots of waiting and there was lots of unknowns. So I live in Canberra and the GP that I sat in front of with that one piece of paper that had a lot of letters that didn't really make much sense, nor did the words. And the GP just said that it didn't make sense to him. He wasn't going to try and explain it. He would just refer me on to someone that could help.
0: Oh, no. So you didn't have a diagnosis at that time. You just knew that something was really wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And then it
1: was three days before I could see the fetal medicine doctor, who was mm-hmm. the head doctor in the city where I live in Canberra. Mm-hmm. And then it was another fortnight before I actually got in front of someone that had some pediatric cardiology knowledge.
0: Wow. That's yes. That's a long month.
1: Yeah, it felt like a month without sleep.
0: I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure it did. Now, when you found out the internet was available, did you go online to try and find out something for yourself or did you have such limited information that you couldn't even really do a search?
1: My partner tends to get into Dr. Google. I tend to avoid it. (laughs) Um, I think for me, it was too scary to know and I wanted to hear it from a human. I didn't want to read it and I didn't want to try and make sense of words that I'd never seen before.
0: Sure. Sure. That makes sense. That, that totally makes sense. Okay. So how long was it before you were told Daniel has half a heart?
1: It was three days after that first scan at 20 weeks. Mm.
0: So they did give you a definitive diagnosis. They didn't have to wait until he was born. They were able to definitively determine he had a single ventricle heart or half a heart. Were they more specific than that?
1: I took an instant dislike to the doctor.
0: Uh-oh. How's <laughs> a good <big> <laughs>
1: um, Okay. <laughs> I, I still have a challenge with thinking about that doctor and that day. I feel offended in a way in which... He delivered the news, which I asked him to just give it to me straight. But in hindsight, I didn't want it that straight because the only words that I remember was him saying, this baby will not fit into your lifestyle.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
1: And I felt like- You were the first
0: person to say something like that to me, Libby. This baby will not fit into your lifestyle. Wow. Mm -hmm. Did you just want to punch him?
1: I'm ex-police, so I didn't (gasps) want to get arrested. (laughs) 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 Um, It would include more than a punch.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was offended. Yeah. And hurt. That would offend me, too. Yes. Wow. Mm. Okay. Yeah. It would be hard to hear anything after that.
1: I've never met him before. I was a total stranger and... I understand he was going off the information that the sonographer was giving him, Mm -hmm. but nothing that they did in that room on that day gave me any confidence in what they were going to say to me anyway, because I didn't Mm. like what he said. And the woman left the room and came back with a small doll and they were flipping the doll from head to toe and... Together, they were having a conversation in front of me and my partner that was disturbing me because I could see they couldn't work it out.
0: Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, please tell me you went for a second opinion.
1: I did. I did. The problem with that doctor and the town where I live is that neither of them had the training in pediatric cardiology to give me that clear information that I was seeking. So I, I can't blame them. I know they were both trying to give me a clear picture of what they were looking at. And the fact that Daniel's heart is in the wrong position in his body was confusing Mm. for everybody.
0: Okay. So Um, did he have dextrocardia?
1: He does have dextrocardia. Okay.
0: Okay. Well, that does make it more of a challenge. And if they weren't specialists, I can see where Daniel didn't fit into their lifestyle <laughs> or into their practice. Yeah, I because... felt
1: like I'd started with a, a hamburger bun and I felt like the doctor kept loading more and more items onto the bun that made it look like it was a hamburger with a lot. You know, I just wanted a hamburger with cheese, but he just kept adding tomato and lettuce and onion and beetroot. <laughs> <laughs> And he just kept adding things to the equation that made it bigger and more scarier than what it was.
0: Okay. How did you resolve this issue, Libby? He made it
1: clear to me that in his opinion, termination was the option. And I came back at him after taking a little breath to just advise him that although he didn't know me, termination was not going to be an option for me. What was the next option? Then he told me to go home and I'd have two days to come back to him for the termination.
0: Oh, my gosh. So he wasn't taking no for an answer. In his mind, termination was the only option.
1: The third option was that if I did choose to proceed, could I not come back and see him? Um, Because he wouldn't be able to help me. So what did you do? So I left and I went to Sydney.
0: Um, oh, and i went to i got season. a referral yeah
1: to the westmead children's hospital in sydney where i met our cardiologist who still cares for daniel's heart today
0: okay so it was a good fit this time and what did that doctor say
1: that doctor just was warm and kind and everything about him felt different mm. so i went through the same hoops i guess except that we had to drive to Sydney that morning and go through the stress of waiting and wondering and praying. So I just lay up on the table like I had done that morning and lay there absolutely in silence while he did the scan. And then he just switched the light on and the same thing, I just asked him to give it to me quite straight and direct and that was there'd be no guarantees and that if I choose to proceed with the pregnancy, he would do what he could, but he couldn't guarantee that this baby would survive.
0: Home Tonight Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective.
2: please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna.
0: Libby, before the break, you had us on the edge of our seat with what you were going to do. The first doctor said termination and made it seem like that really was the only option. But the second person, who was a pediatric cardiologist, actually gave you... A glimmer of hope. So tell me where you went from there.
1: I'd say I grabbed the hope and I've been hanging on to it tightly and Mm -hmm. following the advice and the directions that that man gave me ever since that first meeting.
0: Now you said that Daniel had dextrocardia so that adds a little layer of complication to a kid who is already pretty complicated. So he's a true single ventricle heart patient, it sounds like, is that true? Yes. Okay. And so he's not like a classic hypoplastic left heart syndrome or hypoplastic right heart syndrome. He's pretty darn complicated.
1: His diagnosis originally was tricuspid atresia. He had a congenitally corrected transposition of the great vessels. He had numerous ASDs and VSDs. But I think the most challenging part of his diagnosis was the fact that the dextrocardia complicated things. And it wasn't until he was born that we realized the front of his heart faces the back.
0: So which ventricle is his bigger ventricle? Was it the left one or the right one? Because between having dextrocardia and congenitally corrected transposition of the great arteries, that could make it really confusing.
1: In my own heart, I'm not sure which side. I know that Daniel has one ventricle, and that's the one that we work with. It kind of became insignificant which side because of the way we replumbed his heart.
0: Okay. Okay, that's fair. Well, he has a Fontan heart. We know that from the mm-hmm. intro. And so that's exactly what happens with the Fontan heart. You basically just have one big pumping chamber for the bottom and one for the top. So that's how it functions. Now, his surgeries were spread out a little bit. Talk to us about the first surgery that he had.
1: So the first surgery, we were unsure when that would take place. And until the doctor actually got his hands on Daniel's body, I wasn't sure whether they were going to operate on the day that he was born or straight after because Mm -hmm. they just weren't sure how he would go. Sure. In fact, he went like a dream. He had a natural birth and they whisked him off to the NICU Mm -hmm. and he was put under observation and he sat there and wondered why everybody was looking at him.
0: (laughs) Well, that's delightful. At least he wasn't crashing. You weren't having to worry about him being put on ECMO. Instead, it sounds like he came out looking like a healthy baby.
1: Well, I didn't get to see him and that was hard because that was the plan. Mm -hmm. But I did see him wave to me as he was wheeled out on that machine. Mm -hmm. But when I met him, he, of course, had the NG tube in and he was wired up looking like a boy that was sick.
0: So he did look sick. Was he bluish in color or was he still pink? Because you said he had a lot of ASDs and BSDs and my son did as well. So my son never did look blue.
1: I can't recall what color he was because I had a bumpy end after delivery and had some complications. So after I was actually discharged from the adult hospital, it was like 20 hours in between me actually meeting him. So when I did first see him, it was really emotional and he just looked perfect.
0: Oh, that's so sweet. You were able to look past all the wires and tubes and everything and just focus on Daniel.
1: Yeah, well, I wasn't allowed to pick him up and I wasn't used to that. I'd had three other babies that came straight from one end of me and crawled up on my tummy and found milk all of their own accord you know so Mm -hmm. to not be able to pick him up and to be physically in the state that I was in I guess I felt like I was watching a movie
0: yeah I can see how you could feel that way Wow. So he was lucky and did not need surgery within the first couple of days of life, which is unusual for a single ventricle kid. A lot of times those single ventricle babies, they have surgery within hours or definitely within the first day or two. He made it all the way to 21 days of age. Were you able to take him home or did he spend all 21 of those days in the hospital?
1: He stayed in the NICU in the high care end of the ward for about a week. And then they decided that he was really occupying a bed that someone else could make better use of. Wow. And the nurse just said, take him home.
0: Oh!
1: And of course, I was
0: terrified. Oh, really? That was (laughs) terrifying. I was going to say, those must have been... words that you were waiting to hear.
1: I knew that the child would hit heart failure. And I didn't know what that would look like. Sure. But I was told that once he hit heart failure, I should just bring him
0: back. (laughs) And I make it sound so simple. (laughs) Yeah, I live three
1: hours down the road.
0: Yeah, so it's not across the street.
1: No, and I am i know I'm ex-police and I've got um, urgent duty driving skills, but I don't have lights and sirens anymore.
0: <laughs> Even if you did, three hours of lights and sirens with your own baby? Yeah. That would be horrible. That would just yeah. be horrible. Did they give you an idea of the red flags to watch for or warning signs to watch for?
1: Yeah, yeah. I had written it out and I'd had a room... So we call it rooming in, and I had a practice at being with Daniel all by myself in a room for 24 hours. Okay. And he was also put into the capsule that I would take him home in, and his oxygen was monitored so that they were sure that he could handle the car ride home for three hours in that capsule. And everything was very clearly laid out and explained to me, but it didn't remove the terror. Was I going to be able to get him back before
2: he died? Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect or CHD community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation,
0: I know from having read your book, Living with Half a Heart, A Mother's Guide to Navigating Front-Hand Surgery, that he made it to that first surgery and beyond. And one of the reasons I know that is because you populated the book with photos of Daniel, and I thought that was so brave. Why did you decide to include so many photos of him in the hospital? Those are hard photos to look at
1: I guess what I was trying to do Anna was set up a platform and a resource for other families and other mums like me that are blind we walk into those hospitals and we're confronted with tubes and things foreign things attached to our own babies Mm -hmm. that are confronting and hard to look at And I just thought if I could share and put a warning before someone even opened the book that there were things within the pages that might confront them or upset them. But I wanted to do what I could to prepare someone better than what I was.
0: I can totally relate to that. I think that was a brilliant move on your part. I know that when my son was in the hospital for the first time. I was really lucky because there was another mother there who had a child who was two. He was going in for his Fontan when Alex was going in for his first surgery. And we had the good fortune of meeting one another and talking about our situation. I remember that Amy said to me, would you like to see Joshua? This is what Alexander will look like when he comes back. And just like you're saying, she said, it could be quite a shock. And she went through and pointed to everything that they had connected to Joshua and said what each of the things were for. So it kind of demystified it for me. And that's what I loved about your book, Libby. You kind of took the the mystery out of it, it makes it not quite so frightening and less terrifying.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Anna. I look at the photo and I just want to look at his face and I want to avoid looking at all those things that shouldn't be there, but are there. It makes me sad Yeah, to think that a baby has to fight for their life. But the reality is without all of those things that are attached to that little body and without that scar and without knowing that they opened his chest up and worked inside of his body, he wouldn't actually be here.
0: I absolutely agree with you. And I actually think that Daniel is such a beautiful baby. I mean, you had a great model because I find my eye going to his beautiful eyes and to his beautiful face. And yes, I take in the other things that you're showing on the page, but he is such a beautiful baby and he doesn't really look unhappy. He just looks like, I'm Daniel. I'm here. This is what's happening to me. You know, it's just a sweet baby who's having way too much stuff happen to him that we wouldn't want for anybody to go through.
1: I just see him looking at me.
0: So you were the one who took all the photos.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I was on my own for most of the time because my partner was home looking after the other three monsters. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Oh my gosh, as if it's not hard enough to have a kid in the hospital, having to undergo multiple procedures, multiple surgeries. You had three other children. How hard was that for you and your partner?
1: Well, we didn't know anything different and it was a busy house and it's been a busy life. I certainly wasn't expecting to be gifted with this whole different world that CHD brought to our lives. Mm -hmm. But I guess it was just a matter of picking up the bag and running with it and doing what was required to make sure that we could do everything that was needed.
0: Mm -hmm. It's busy. (laughs) I, I imagine it is. For little boys, that would be unbelievably busy. Did you feel that having your partner be the one who was home with the active three boys and you being with the, the baby that really needed constant attention, did you feel that was a fair separation or the, the kind of separation that needed to happen? Because um, I, would, I would have found it odd since you just gave birth for you to want to go home and be with the other boys and for her to be in the hospital. It, it's, it really does make sense to me that since you had just given birth to him, that you would be the one who was there with him.
1: My goal was that I would, um, I was told that I wouldn't be allowed to breastfeed, but I certainly needed to be nearby so that my expressed milk could get to him. And even the colostrum before the milk came in was a bit like gold. And there was no question that I wouldn't stay with the baby and that Sharon wouldn't stay with the big boys because what we wanted to do was with also the support of my family who were very busy helping my partner was that we just tried to apply common sense Mm
2: -hmm. and leave
1: the emotion and the distress and and leave that for later on to deal with because Mm -hmm. there were too many things that needed to be done and the gap between the baby and I and the family was great.
0: What advice would you give to another family who's having to deal with a similar situation.
1: It's so hard to give advice because we're all in such different situations and families are so challenging. But (laughs) for me, it was important for those big boys to maintain their normal routine Mm -hmm. so that they could go to school and not be too worried about that little boy and whether or not he was coming home. Mm -hmm. And the more normal their lives could be, the more settled I would be in my own heart because I had to focus solely on Daniel and myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm fortunate I've got faith and I was just in a position like I am every single other day of absolutely powerlessness. It's a lifelong problem that Daniel's got and this was my commitment to him. I would care for him and love him and do all that I could for him to give him whatever life he's been blessed.
0: That's very beautiful. What was the biggest lesson that you learned over the seven years that you've had, Daniel?
1: It's easier said than done, you know, don't worry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have to laugh because you're right. The whole thing of the worrying isn't going to help. But yeah, you're so right. It's easier said than done. Okay, I love this. Okay, surrender.
1: if I, could, if I could take my own advice, I'd be a better person for it.
0: <laughs> I think we're all, we're all in that category.
1: <laughs> I know I'm a worrier. I yeah. inherited that from my own mother. Mm. I know I'm affected by the trauma of Daniel's life. And I know he's a very precious human being that I would protect and do protect fearlessly Mm-hmm. I feel that's the commitment that I made to him that I would give him everything I could. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that I absolutely run myself into the ground, you know, which I'm pretty good at doing as well. And I think it's very challenging to find that balance of putting my needs before his because I'm his mum.
0: The three older boys had years to be with each other and to see what a normal sibling relationship was like were they able to form a healthy relationship with their brother or were they afraid to touch him afraid to be with him
1: no I don't think they were afraid at all they were just their natural young curious you know just beautiful children that have got Courage to touch and pull and poke, <laughs> and bravery that um, that adults just don't carry because of the yeah. worry. Yeah, they're children, and they've treated him superbly.
0: That's wonderful. Well, I can't let this episode stop before we talk about the book a little bit more. First, "Living with Half a Heart: A Mother's Guide to Navigating Fontan Surgery." What made you decide to write the book and where can people find it?
1: I decided to write the book because I didn't want my experience just to be selfishly kept to me and for it not to be able to help someone else. So my book is available um, on Amazon the easiest way for someone out of Australia to get it would be online. So I would direct people to Amazon to get it electronically. If they'd like an actual hard copy of the book, they can Google my name, Libby Andrew, or they can Google living with half a heart and it'll come up. I can post the book to anybody that would like it. It's a long delayed process and it involves a bit more cost, but there's nothing like having a book in your hand. (laughs) <laughs> um, I can attest otherwise to Anna, that. Thank-
0: i was so happy you sent me a copy of the book and i could have looked at it online electronically but i don't think that these photos would have touched me the same way it did with me actually holding your book mm-hmm. it really did touch me so much I love your book. I hope everybody who's listening decides to get a copy, whether it's electronic or a physical copy. If you're in Australia, you're lucky. It'll come to you a lot faster than if you're outside of Australia. But is it available print on demand? So the
1: book's available in my local bookshops in Canberra and it's available in the Children's Hospital in Sydney. Apart from that, it's just a matter of ordering it okay. through me and me posting it out
0: and I'll have all of this information in the show notes my friends so you don't have to hunt around too much I'll have links in the show notes so it'll take you straight to Libby so you can get a copy of this book for yourself one of the things that I liked Libby was it was not too big it's a little over a hundred pages so it's consumable You know, we're so overwhelmed when we get all of this information and we're told we have a child with half a heart and they may not make it and they're going to have multiple operations. You don't want to get a book that's 300 or 400 pages because that just looks like you can't possibly get through it. But your book has nice big print and all these photos and it's actually easy to get through. Not that I didn't tear up when I looked at the first photo. I wasn't really expecting that. It took me right back to when Alex was in the hospital. I'll be honest about that. Especially the photo on page 14 where he's in the NICU. That was the machine
1: that took Daniel away from me when he was first born. And, He got back on that machine each time he went for a surgery. So I felt it was important for mums to actually see just how many screens and monitors and just how complicated the technology is.
0: It really is. It's very complicated. And we're so lucky to live in a day and age where we do and all of that's available because We both know 50 years ago, that wasn't available. Mm. Our kids wouldn't have the fighting chance that they do now. Daniel's actually out riding his bike while you and I are talking. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) How is he doing today? He's well, and he's happy, and he's
1: very determined.
0: Well, he has a very determined mom. (laughs) I mean, how could he not be? <laughs> you, you have done an excellent job of being an advocate for him. And you've written a book and you've taken on, really, you've taken on the CHD World by storm. And I really admire that. So I think he has a lot to live up to.
1: Well, I love him very much. And it's just been a privilege to be his mum.
0: It has been delightful talking to you. I can't believe our time is up already. This was, <laughs> it was fascinating. I learned so much by talking to you, Libby. Mm-hmm. Thank you for coming on the program.
1: No, you're welcome, Anna. Thanks for your time and for inviting me along.
0: Well, I feel like I'm going to have to have you come back because there's more to your story that we haven't had a chance to discuss, (laughs) but at least we got a touch of it and people can read your book, see some pictures of Daniel, including a picture at the end where he's a sweet looking little boy. I mean, he doesn't look like a baby. He's a little boy Mm. with his first Christmas photo and he just looks so happy and so sweet. But I know there's more to the story. And so I'm going to have to have you come back. I have a feeling there are a lot more stories there.
1: (laughs) They are are very lucky boys. And we've just got to be patient and pray that, you know, today is a good day and we'll make the most of it. And God knows what tomorrow is going to bring. That's absolutely true. Well, Mm. that
0: does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna, my friends. Thanks for (laughs) listening today please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern time or anytime because it is a podcast. So it's available anywhere that you listen to your podcast, but we have new episodes that come out on Tuesday and you can always look us up on Facebook. I love to hear from all of you. And I'd love to know if you have a favorite CHD book. Now that you know about Libby's book, let's share books on Facebook on the Heart to Heart with Anna page. That would be a fun thing to do. But until next week,